0: As you know, uh, part of our REACH campaign includes new church development, church planting, and Paul Erminger and his wife Tia, in just a few weeks, are about to embark on a church planting adventure along with Emily Norville from our staff, and I've asked Paul to come and preach for us this weekend to tell you about what God's doing in his life and the vision that God's given him for Cape Coral, Florida, and we're very, very excited about that. And I know that you're going to be inspired by what Paul has to say. So give him a nice warm welcome as he comes to share. As Greg. So Greg said, my name is Paul Erminger. It's a joy um, to be here with you today and, and to be sharing. Uh, just so you know a bit about me, I always like to take any opportunity I have to brag on my wife. Um, here's a picture of our crew. We have three daughters. They are a princess tornado. They're amazing. I mean, just pink stuff flying everywhere at all times. Um, our oldest, her name is Ella. She's eight years old and goes to Royerton. Uh, our next one is Aaliyah. She's five years old. And then our youngest is Odessa, who just turned four. And, and so we stay busy. We have fun. Um, but my wife, she, she's amazing. Um, go to this next picture. That's not a beach ball that's hidden under her dress, <laughs> in case there's any confusion. We're about to welcome our fourth child in nine days, and it's a little boy, so we're excited for that. That'll be a change-up. Um, not, not only, you know, is she the mother of three, carrying number four, um, pastor's wife, uh, She just completed her master's in nursing at Ball State and also passed her board, so now she's a family nurse practitioner. Marvel is about to release a movie about her because she's officially a superhero now. Um, and then in, here shortly, we're going to move down and start this adventure of planting a church. So she, she's reached that superhero status. I got her a cape and everything. She deserves it. All right. Um, so, so that's my crew. She's amazing. Um, and I just, I, I celebrate her. Fa- family is so important. It, it's so much of where our stories are, where, where our life should be invested. Uh, they know our embarrassing stories. They know our funny funny stories. And, and as we get talking today of, about the message that God's placed on my heart to share with you, um, I, I just want to say that this is kind of a family sermon. Th- this is a sermon that, that is a reminder to the church of the things that we, we already know. And so if you're just visiting, just checking church out, we're so glad you're here. I'm sure this will be meaningful for you. But a- as a church family, as the people who say Union Chapel is my church home, this is really just a reminder, something to refocus our vision on what we need to be doing as a church. A- and In family stories, I came across this story that I thought was pretty humorous. Um, A mom had a daughter who was attending college, and she missed her. So she thought, you know, I'll go, and I'm going to go visit my daughter. And she thought it would be a good idea to just show up in her dorm room. I know, that seems like a foolproof plan. What could possibly go wrong with this? And and so mom got there and she let herself in, probably started doing mom stuff in the dorm room since it was empty and maybe tidying up a little bit. And she was waiting on her daughter to show up in her dorm room and thought, you know what, I'll just lay down in her bed and I'll snap a selfie and I'll send it to her and she'll get a chuckle out of that and she'll know that I'm here. And so she sent this picture and she said, look where I am and you know, sent that to her daughter. And and her daughter kind of (laughs) had a funny reaction because she said, Where's that? I'm in my dorm. Please tell me you're not in someone else's dorm. (laughs) I'm in the wrong dorm, OMG. Yes, it's the right time to start praying, Mom. Um, It's funny, and I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a situation, hopefully not in the wrong person's dorm, but in a situation you say, say, how did I get here? How did I arrive at this point where my plans were to go and make this happen, to go do this, and somehow I ended up in this extremely awkward and difficult place? I think through different circumstances, we've all been in those situations where we ask ourselves, How did I get to this point? And, and, and today, as a church here in Muncie and really the church across America, we, we have to keep our mindset on where are we now and where are we going? What, what is it that got us here and what do we need to do to get where we're going? Because right now, the American church is in a point of crisis. The American church has been in decline. And, and you know, I understand. Most people don't usually study church demographics across America but there's a few things that you should be aware of. Like every year 4,000 churches in America are closing their doors. 4,000. More startling than that to me is that half of all churches in America have not grown for the last two years. This is crazy. It We carry this message of the gospel, and our church is moving backwards. And and today, we, we need to have a conversation about where do we want to go? Because I understand every church makes missteps. Every church makes mistakes. Every person makes missteps. Every person makes mistakes. But the question that we need to have is, what is our vision? What do we see as far as where we're going that helps us correct our path when we've ended up in the wrong place? What is it that we're going to do? What is it that refocuses us? And, and for me, I, I look to Luke 19.10, which I believe really could be described as Jesus' mission statement. And that's going to be the verse that we look at today, and we're going to look at some of the surrounding context. And if you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Once again, for the Son of Man Came to seek and save those who are lost. And God inspires through this important word. Like to have you guys stand to honor God's word, also to make sure that everyone's awake. You can be seated. You can be seated. Um, make sure that everybody's awake as I start. It's good to to you know have you guys all in the same position as we begin. Um, as we look at this passage, it says, "For the Son of Man," and this is Jesus teaching in this situation. And I don't want us to breeze through just this the short term that he uses to describe himself, because it's important. It teaches us something about him. And this phrase, Son of Man, was used 69 times throughout the Gospels, and it actually appears to be Jesus' favorite phrase for describing himself. It's the one that he used the most frequently. And this phrase, he gives it because it just emphasizes Jesus' human nature. The fact that Jesus was Emmanuel, that he was God amongst us, God in flesh, that he was fully God and fully man. Jesus wanted to to let the people know that this is who I am, that that I I am one who is walking like you. And and it's important because he understands our struggles is what scripture says. And and I want to take a minute and get into this phrase, not just because the origin of the term is important or or there's some other meanings that I want to highlight, but I want to do this because I want you to understand we're a church who's all about what Jesus did, all about who Jesus is. There are churches across our nation that are looking for pastors who, who will... Preach 52 weeks a year without saying the word Jesus. I mean, and this should be mind-boggling to us, that there are churches that don't want to say the J word during their services. There are churches that don't want to talk about Jesus because they want to be inclusive and don't want to offend. But the fact is, we cannot teach Scripture. We cannot proclaim the most important message of the gospel, the most important message in the world. We cannot proclaim this message without the name of Jesus. We are a church who who stands firm that Jesus is the most central figure to our faith. That what he did on the cross was the most important thing in history that has ever happened. So we talk about Jesus, and we proclaim who he is. The fact that he was fully man and fully God. The the, the fact that he was the one who was promised of old. that, That even from the very beginning, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 15, there is a promise of one who would come through the seed and the line of Adam and Eve who would crush the head of the serpent that enticed them to sin that day. that, that In Genesis chapter 20, 22, verse 18, where Abraham was promised that through your heritage, through your lineage, that, I will, that God will bless all nations of the earth. Jesus is calling back to the fact that he is this one who was promised, that he is one who is like us as he introduced himself. And this is, this is amazing because when you think of all the ways that Jesus could describe himself, he more than anyone else could, could hold to how important he was. And in the life that Jesus lived, he broke the expectations that, that we had of how someone who was important should live. And we should be able to apply these truths to our own life. Jesus could have described himself as the king of kings and the, the beginning and the end more than any of these other terms that he used. And he did describe himself rightfully so in circumstances of being the king, of, of being the first and the last. But more often than not, he spoke of himself in humble terms, as the son of man. The expectation of how a king should live, it was broken in Matthew twenty twenty eight when he said the son of man came to serve, not be served. The expectation of what a leader is was broken in Matthew twenty three eleven where he said the greatest among you will be a servant to all. The expectation of what a father is, the Apostle Paul writes and changes, to, changes for us in Ephesians 5 where he says, fathers should love their wives and their families as Christ loved and served the church and gave himself up for her. The expectation of what our life was to be about in John twelve twenty five, 25, it said, anyone who loves their life will lose it. The way that we live our life, we have to invest it in other people. We have to invest it in the kingdom of God. Jesus' life, it changed all of these expectations that are just so natural for us, to lift ourselves up, to speak well of ourselves, to invest just in ourselves. And the first thing that I want to see, that when we look at Jesus and the life that he lived, that Jesus changed our expectations. And for us as a church, if we expect to just invest in ourselves, to just worry about the people who are inside of these four walls, We're not following the outline that Jesus set in his scriptures. We're not following the model that he set for us and how he lived his life. If you look at the first part of this chapter, we're looking at Luke 19.10 today, but I want to make sure we understand the context. In In the first nine verses of this chapter was Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus, which is a story that is well known. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was despised and hated by the community around him, and Jesus invited himself into Zacchaeus' house for a meal. And as he was there, Zacchaeus' life began to change and he trusted in Jesus and he made amends for the wrong that he did. And then Jesus speaks this purpose statement that we see in Luke 19.10 and, and he says, we seek after the lost. Do you understand that in the way that Jesus lived his life, he didn't just wait for the lost to come to him. He didn't wait for people who were hurting to figure out that they need to come to him but he was seeking after, him, after them. We have to be a church, and we have to be a people that is seeking after those who are far from God. We can't just wait for them to show up at our church service, and the expectation that they will is misguided, and this is what I mean by that, because we have this mindset as Americans that if we have church, then lost people will come to it, and they'll come to Christ, but the fact is, no matter how significant our church is in our city, most people won't know about it. I mean, can you just imagine if your senior pastor here at your church, was so important that he was able to sit down and talk with the President of the United States of America on a regular basis and advise him? This was actually true of Dr. Hines, who was a pastor in Washington, D.C. He led a church of a couple thousand people. It was pretty significant. He was pretty prominent. He would sit down with President Reagan on a regular basis and advise him. He had a reason to kind of puff up his chest and feel important, feel like he was noticed in his community. One day he decided he'd test it out and he went down to the gas station, the local McClure, about a mile down the road from, from his church. And he said, hey, could you give me directions to my church? And, and just asked. The gas attendant said, no, I've never heard of that church. I don't think it's, I don't think it's around these parts. You know, um, his ego just, just deflated in that moment. Pastor Robin Wood, who's here on Union Chapel, he was leading a church of a couple thousand. He tried this in his own community in in Phoenix. Went down the the street from this church of a couple thousand people. Said, hey, could you give me directions to this church? Never heard of it. When I heard this story, I said, you know, I understand how that could happen in Washington, D.C. or Phoenix, but that probably wouldn't happen in Muncie. There's just not as many things going on in Muncie. People know about Union Chapel. So we had to test it out. So went over to Frankie D's market just down broadway asked for directions to union chapel you guys know where it's at could you help me get there never heard of it went to american rental just down the street they said they didn't know but you said maybe there's some churches down on the you could probably find some churches i've never heard of union chapel but maybe there's some down on the that you could find my favorite one was at o'reilly's auto Part. first guy said i've got no interest in churches second guy piped up he said you know i've lived here for 20 years in muncie there's no church called Union Chapel here in Muncie. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I think maybe it might be in a different city. The third one said, you know, there's a new one down in McGalliard. Maybe that's the one you're thinking of, down near Wheeling. Saw them building something. The concept that by us gathering here is going to tell people who are far away from God about the gospel, it's misguided at best. It's not working. It's not a method to reach our community. We as a church, we as individuals, as families, as followers of Christ, we have to decide to be people who seek after those who are far from God. We have to pe- be people who go out into our community and, and invite and invest in and, and may, make the love of Christ known through the way that we live to the people who surround us. Because just by gathering here, it's not enough. And believe me, I know that there's countless stories in this room, in this church, of people who say this message of the gospel, it's completely changed my life. I know that I'm one of them. When I was 17 years old, I can remember what it was like when I came to know Jesus. I can remember what it was like before I became a Christian. I remember the darkness that was there. The feeling that, that life is just empty. Just, just do what feels good and then your days will end and that's it. And then when the hope of Christ came into my life and the healing of Christ began to work in my life, how things changed. I can remember the light just pushing the darkness out of my life. And I know that many of you have experienced the same thing. And so just so that the people around you know that, I, that the that this isn't just pastor talk, this isn't just the preacher. If Jesus Christ has dramatically changed your life, would you just say amen? All right, I know that I sprang that question. Some of you weren't ready for it. And you were like, I wanted to say it, but I didn't get to. If Jesus Christ has changed your life, would you say amen? amen? All right, good. That one was louder. Now, I, I do that because I want them to know that it's not just me, that Jesus Christ, he is effective. He makes change happen when you put your life into his hands. But the American church has allowed God to work in their life in a powerful way, and then they live their life in a way that shows little change. And in fact, I'd say it's kind of like floating down the lazy river. Have you ever been to the lazy river at a water park? You know what I'm talking about. It's, it's just a loop. It doesn't go anywhere. You just you get in an inner tube and you float and, and you go where the current takes you. In fact, when you're on the lazy river, you're not allowed to swim. You have to stay in your inner tube and you have to float around. And this is the methodology. This is the way that a lot of the American church has lived out their faith. I'm just going to go where life takes me, and it'll just have to be okay. I don't want to, you know, splash up any waters. I don't want him to get upset at me. I'm going to float through. I'm going to take the easiest route. And this is why the American church largely has entered into decline. Now, look, we're not going to impress God when we meet him on that day. We're not going to blow his socks off by saying, look how I just floated through my life. You know, I I don't want to just float through. I want to see this gospel spread. I want people to experience this joy and new life that is only found in Jesus Christ that I found when I was 17. I want to see families changed because of it. And so I want to get off of the inner tube. I want to start pushing up the stream. I want to flip some people's rafts over. I want them to get in the water and start moving with me. We've got to do something. And we have to understand that Jesus is calling us to be people who go out and seek, who take a different path. It's going to be a sobering day For the American church, when we stand before the great throne of God, and he calls us to accounts and says, what did you invest your life in? And he will expect an answer from each one, is what scripture says. What did you invest your life in? And I imagine the conversation will go largely like this. Well, you know, Jesus, I I love you, and I, I made you the Lord of my life in 1992, and I put on the WWJD bracelet, and I faithfully attended church, but I never really did much more than that. I never served Uh, I never invested in seeing your kingdom expand. I never really stretched ourselves to financially give um, because you never gave me a strong emotional, emotional feeling about doing so. So I just floated along. And I know that that sounds ridiculous as I say it from up here, but how true is it of the church in America that we rely on a strong emotional pull before we do anything? When we have the weight and the truth of the words of Jesus Christ recorded in Scripture, where in Matthew 28, 19, he says, therefore, go and make disciples. We have the words of Jesus telling us to go, and then we have this reservation that unless I feel a strong emotional tug about doing something, about taking a risk, about stepping out, then I'm just going to sit right here. I mean that's crazy. That's insanity. We know the words that have been spoken. We know the mission that we've been given. And I love the way that John Piper describes how we can respond, that we have three ways that we respond when we hear this instruction from Jesus Christ to go. We can either go, we can send, or we can disobey. And church, I'm not trying to put something heavy on your shoulders, but I'm just trying to be an alarm clock that's sounding and saying, wake up and analyze. What are you investing your life in? Are you currently ready to go and spread this gospel throughout our community? Are you doing it now? Are you sending? Are you helping this gospel advance throughout the world by sending with your, your time, your resources? Or with the third category of saying, you know what, I'm just... I'm just floating. I'm just disobeying right now. Where are you at? Where can you take a step forward at? We as a church, we need to be advancing in this gospel. And I'm not saying that everyone has to go and help plant a church, but I am saying that some of us here are. It's not easy for me to relocate my family and do this there's so many unknowns there's so much more safety here there's people who look at us and say "You're, you're crazy for leaving such a stable and safe situation but the thing is we know that that if a team of us go from Union Chapel that people will come to Christ we know that a local church will be established that the gospel will advance that if we go and we take these risks that God will provide the spiritual fruit that things will happen because God desires to see people reached and so we'll invest ourselves, and, I'm, and I encourage you, I'm calling you, I'm asking you, where's your part in this advancement? What part is your family playing? We have to be engaged, we have to be involved. Jesus didn't just come to seek the lost, but he came to see results happen in their lives, to see them saved, to see those who were lost saved. And, and a couple of Jesus' belief regarding those people who are lost, one of them is described within the context of that passage, everyone knows, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world the reason he loved the world, the reason he sent his son so that anyone who could believe was listed in 1718 because Jesus said that those who have not yet believed, they already stand condemned. They're headed to eternal separation from God. Jesus believed that people were on the way to the wrong place. And I believe that as a church, as a people, that when we look at the teachings of Jesus Christ, that he's saying, you guys have to change directions. Jesus changed our direction in life because there's a need. Because there's people around the world who need to hear this gospel. He says, you will go. Life was taking you this way. You're gonna go this way. It may not make sense to other people looking at your life, but this is where I'm calling you. That's the second point. Jesus changed our direction. He changed where we're headed. Because there's people in our city and in our nation We need to hear this message. Jesus believed that people were headed to eternal separation from God. He believed it so strongly that he taught on it more than he taught on heaven. And and larger than that, Jesus believed that people were headed to eternal separation from God, so he gave himself on a cross to pay for their sins, to pay for our sins. He endured a painful death to take away every sin. Jesus believed it. He fully committed his life to it and he instructs us to follow in his ways, to seek after those who are lost. Jesus changed our direction, yes, but the third one is that Jesus changed our destination. He changed the way that our life is headed, but he changed where we would end up one day at the end. And you know what? Yes, it's true that he changes the eternal, but he also changes the, the, the future of the life. And let, let me say it this way. We were once consumed and controlled by the flesh. And we just went after what it was good for us. But when we become Christians, he begins to change those desires. And when his spirit comes into our life, he begins to heal families. And I am concerned about the eternal destination of people. But I'm going to tell you right now, there's families across our city who say they're living in hell right now. That our family is ripping apart right now. That our family is in pain right now. And when Jesus gets in the middle of that household, he starts to institute change right then. He promises an abundant life on earth, not just eternity in heaven. And that's why our gospel needs to spread, because it changes things now. Yes, it changes it later too. You know, we were once vessels of wrath headed for destruction, but God has set us apart now when we believe he's given us a future, he's given us a hope. The apostle John describes a picture of heaven that he sees in Revelation 7, 9, and, and he describes This this stadium. I mean, you're going to have to try to wrap your mind around this. He wrote, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, you're going to have to try to wrap your mind around this for a second, because we can imagine the biggest stadium we've ever been in. Maybe it was at a Colts game. Maybe it was somewhere else. But you have to imagine all the generations of earth, all the generations of everyone who's ever believed, all standing and crying out. I mean, can you just imagine the thunder and the feel of all the voices going at once? And and I don't even know how to begin to explain that we are now at a place where there's no more tears, there's no more fear, there's no more sickness, there's no more pain. We have arrived in the presence and the joy of God forever. And I can tell you, that day will come there will come a day before when you stand before your creator, and if you have placed your trust in him, you will know peace and joy like you've never experienced, and it is an amazing day that we can look forward to, but the American church is largely more excited about a trip to Disney World than the fact that they have this eternal home that Jesus has prepared for them, and it's a strange thing. It's a strange thing when we say, yes, this is where I'm headed, this is my home, but we don't live with any sort of passion or excitement in our daily life about it. And I just call this because I want, it, I want our attention to see it for a second. What are we most excited for in life? What are we most passionate about in life? It is just the, the mild amusements or, or the things that will matter Forever. You know, as I begin to conclude this message, I want to share with you a story of a family that got to go to the happiest place on earth, Disney World. You know, family of four. They they made the big trip that every family tries to make while their kids are young. Uh, daughter was seven years old, son was three years old, and, and they arrive. They're there. They go under the you know the welcome to Disney World, happiest place on earth. They enter into the sea of parking lots. They park their car. They got their stroller and the kids, and they get on the trolley. They make it in through the cattle gates, and then before them is the animal kingdom. And one of the best days, they're so excited. They're going to conquer Animal Kingdom today. And they decide the first place they're going to go is to the Lion King show. Great choice. Going to head there. And I think as a parent, really the best part of Disney World is going to be seeing the excitement on your kid's face. And so as they're approaching the Lion King show, the mom leans down over the stroller and says to her three-year-old son, Are you excited for the Lion King show? And as she does that, she realizes he's not in the stroller. She looks over at her, her husband. He's not with her husband. He's not with their seven-year-old daughter. And all of a sudden, all of the amusement and the excitement around her just kind of disappears. I mean, you can understand how all of these rides and attractions, they no longer matter right now. She's panicking. Her heart is racing. Where is my son? She says to her husband in a panic, he's gone, where is he? He runs off and starts looking, looking for staff members to help hunt. She asks her daughter, trying to stay a little bit calm, Did you, have you seen him? The daughter hasn't seen him. And she's looking across the sea of people around her. And all the terrible things are running through her mind. Have I lost my son? Did I leave him somewhere? Did he get kidnapped? Is this going to be the worst day of my life? I've lost my child. And as she's there in that moment of panic, the crowd opens up a little and she sees this little three-year-old figure climbing around on the rocks, just having a good old time. And I'm sure she breathed in and I'm sure she squeezed that little monkey a little <laughs> tighter. What are you doing? How could you do that to me? I'm so glad you're okay. I'm going to lock you in the stroller now. It wasn't about the park and the rides anymore. It wasn't about how much fun we can have. That moment became about her child. I'm concerned that the American church has gotten so comfortable and so excited about the things going on around around them. They forgot about these lost children. We're just enjoying. And look, there's things to enjoy. That's great. But we have to see The world through God's eyes. When Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save those who are lost, does our life's mission parallel his? Church, what are we invested in? What are we going towards? We as a church, we want to see 10 churches planted in the next 10 years. This is only step number one. We're going to the places where they need churches, and there, there's quite a few different reasons. One, you know, one of them that wasn't really part of the decision making is is that when we begin to step out in faith and plant churches, it can be costly. It, it can be difficult, yes. But an interesting study that came out on churches that plant other churches within five years after they begin planting churches, those churches' attendance rises 21%. Isn't that crazy? You send people away and God sends you 21 more percent? The designated giving actually went up 77% when churches started planting churches. They spent more money and God, God provided them more. I mean, that, that's crazy. Just general tithes go up by 48% when churches start planting churches. Why is that? Because the church understands we're not just here for ourselves, we're not just floating down the lazy river, that we have a mission and a purpose and a passion that we'll live for, and it may not make sense to the people around us, but we're gonna see God's kingdom expand we're gonna make it happen. It may not be emotionally comfortable, it may not be the right time to invest, but we're gonna do it because we trust God and because he has called us to reach those who are lost. And so we're gonna step forward. And so church, I understand some of you guys, you may have said in your mind, you know what, I'm gonna give towards reach, but it just hasn't been the right time. Make it the right time today. Drop a check off in the bucket in the back, invest in this, find a way to be involved. Some of you guys, it's through giving. Some of you guys, it's gonna be through going through uprooting your family and joining us. Some of you guys are gonna be on the short term just helping things get started. That's great, just find a place. God, how do you want me to be involved in seeing your kingdom expand in Muncie and across the world? Where is your place? This Tuesday night, we're having a vision night for the church plant. And I would love for you to come and hear what we have to say because there's so many stories of just God already doing the miraculous to make this happen. Doors that he's opening. If you're investing in REACH, we'd love for you to hear about our strategy and our planning and the way that things are coming together. If you're curious about what it looks like to join our launch team or just be on a short term and helping send us, we're going to be sharing information about that. It would be great for you to come in here. But our church, we're going to begin to reverse the trend. The church may be declining in America, but we're going to see vibrant and healthy churches planted across our nation. And we're gonna see this gospel spread and change families and change lives. And it'll start here in Muncie. If the church will rise up. Will we live on mission, church? I pray that we will. Pray with me. Jesus, I thank you that you sought after us. That it wasn't us who found you, but it was you who came seeking after us. We thank you for the salvation you've brought into our life. For the change that you've made happen. And Lord, we pray for the families that are far away from you right now. We pray for the children who are hurting, for the husbands and wives who feel disconnected, and we pray that that people would carry your gospel into their lives and that you would create a healing that can only come from the Holy Spirit. Father, be at work in our nation. And Lord, give us the mindset, give us the heart and the passion to reach the lost, no matter what the cost is, no matter what the difficulty is. Help us to be the start of this change in our nation. We know that you have a passion to reach the lost and we are following you, Jesus. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.